Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. We're in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 18. So turn to Acts 18. We're going to be in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's look at chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began, and there were about 12 men in all. Verse 8, and he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Great passage of study here. Really an important passage as we think about uh, Paul and his ministry impact and how Paul was all about seeing people come to Christ and uh, how Paul would kind of come into a geographical area, share the good news, and watch God work. More than that, it was a ministry philosophy that Paul was involved in where he would first go to the Jews and then he would go to the non-Jews and uh, faithfully proclaim uh, the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And it's interesting, as Paul goes into an area, you see in the book of Acts that Paul has this local, regional, and then with a lot of churches, international influence. And the church at Ephesus is really in a lot of ways, the template for how that local, regional, and then international ministry can take place. In fact, this ministry in Ephesus was so important that one commentator said it like this, as you see on the screen, Ephesus was a decisive moment in the missionary history. It was to be a new chapter of the Gentile mission. 
So it's interesting, as you look at the book of Acts, Acts, the, the latter part of, the, of chapter 18 and the first part of chapter 19 is a really important part of the book of Acts. And if you were to divide up the book of Acts into different segments, that section there of the end part of 18 into 19 is really important to the rest of the book. It really helps us understand how the gospel went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. Luke lays it out for us very clearly. It's interesting that when Paul went to Ephesus, he likely had some strategy in mind. Well, like what? Well, some facts that we know about the Ephesus region, there was likely about 250,000 uh, residents in Ephesus, which made it the largest city of Asia Minor and the third largest in the empire. It was the seat of provincial government. And one of the seven wonders of the world, a pagan temple of Diana, was in the city of Ephesus. So it's interesting that Paul is strategic in where he's going. He's strategic in the message that he's sharing. He's strategic for the length of time he's there. Everything that Paul does is with one purpose, to make sure the gospel of Christ is an opportunity to go forward. And so I think as you look at the latter part of Acts 18 and into chapter 19, you see some really great prototypes and examples for us as a church where we as a church can look at what's happening in that passage and say, okay, what does this mean for us as a church today? And there's some great things to learn there, to learn there. I think as you look at this passage and you think about growing in your gospel reach, I think there's at least three truths that we can glean from this passage. So if FBC is to grow in your gospel reach, let's talk about three things. One, be proactive in your discipleship. Two, be purposeful in your pivots. Three, be empowered in your persistence. See this in the text here. Let's look at it again. First of all, being proactive in your discipleship. Look back at your Bibles at chapter 18, verse 24. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Look at 19.1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. It's interesting, as Luke is talking about how this Ephesian ministry really began to take off. He starts out by focusing on one particular dude, and that was Apollos. So we know that Apollos, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and some other passages of Scripture, we know that Apollos was really a big part uh, of the early church. And uh, if you were to kind of like list off some of like the, the big guns in the early church, Apollos is definitely on your list. However, as you look at chapter 18, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, 
they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately, it says in my Bible. So even though Apollos was like kind of this big name in Christianity, there was this little known couple, relatively speaking, that helped to get Apollos where he needed to be, a married couple, Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, depending on where you're reading in your Bible. These guys, they show up at the synagogue, they hear an Apollos preach, they hear him going through kind of the story of Jesus and what he did, and it's almost like they talked about the life and probably even some of the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and it's almost like in, Paul, in, in Apollos' sermon, it's like it kind of stopped. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, they know the whole story. They know what happened at Pentecost, and they know what's been going on in church history. And so Aquila and Priscilla pull them aside, and they share some things with them. So we did a series about a year ago on unlikely heroes, and one of the unlikely heroes that we talked about was Aquila and Priscilla. We went into some great detail on Aquila and Priscilla, so you can go back and Watch that particular message to really get into the weeds on Aquila and Priscilla and how you can be a power couple for the gospel. But Aquila and Priscilla, they're listening to this guy and they're like, wait a minute. This guy only knows like 90% of the story. What are we going to do about that? On Acts 19, Paul was in a similar situation. Acts 19.1, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus there he found some disciples and said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul also is being proactive in his discipleship. They don't know the full story. So it's interesting, as you think about the book of Acts, remember that the book of Acts is a book of transition. It's like the book of Acts is like a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You got the Old Testament, which definitely had a different way of going about worship. And you got the New Testament, like what we're doing right now. We've got a, a different way that we are going about worship. And Acts is kind of like the bridge between those two things. And so in a lot of passages in the book of Acts, you kind of got this like segue happening. This like overlap where like here in this particular account, you've got Aquila and Priscilla, they're all about John the Baptist. You've got these Ephesian disciples, they're all about John the Baptist, but they didn't know the full story. They didn't know the full story. And Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul really took it upon themselves to make sure that they knew the full story. Have you ever talked to someone before and they don't know the full story? Like you're relating a particular story and they don't know the whole story, and you kind of have to give the whole story. It'd be like if you were like talking to a guy, and he said, uh, if you said to him, hey, have you, ever, um, have you ever seen the Star Wars movies? And um, the guy says to you, oh yeah, man, I've seen the Star Wars movies. They're awesome. It's about these two robots in the desert, and uh, it's great and just leaves it right there. Now, anyone here ever seen the Star Wars movies? Nine of you, all right. <laughs> pivoting the illustration to, no, we're not pivoting, we're not pivoting. So, you might have to say, uh, bro, 
there's more to the story. You might have to be proactive with, you know, not leaving that guy for the rest of his life, believing it's a story about two robots. You might want to say, yeah, there's a little bit more to the story. And you might be, want to be proactive with that. Just like Aquila and Priscilla and Paul had to be proactive in their discipleship of sharing with these Ephesians the full gospel story. What's interesting as you think about that is that every person in this room is in a different place in their gospel growth. To a certain extent, there's so much more to the story of Christ and the Holy Spirit that there is to learn and grow in. In fact, you're in that process your whole life. So the people that are around you right now, they need to know more about the story. I need to know more about the story. It's a process I should be in for the rest of my life, but we need to be proactive with that as a church. A couple things about this text just real quick. Were these Ephesian disciples believers? Because they didn't know the full story, and some commentators are really uncertain as to whether or not they are genuine believers or not. Just quick textual note as you look at the book of Acts, whether or not these Acts 19 believers really are genuine believers in God. Every mention of the word disciple uh, in the book of Acts up to this point really does talk about the fact of it being a genuine believer. So if you had to land on one side or the other, the book of Acts, you probably could say that these guys are genuine believers. But interesting too, as you look at the text, that after Paul talks to them about the baptism of Christ, he rebaptizes them a second dunking. All right, so he puts them back into the water, and it's interesting. Why would you get baptized twice? Remember what we talked about. The book of Acts is a transition book. It's a transition book. You're moving from what was to what is. It's not necessarily a book that we derive all of our theology from because it's a historical genre, but it's helping us understand that there were guys that were kind of living in the Old Testament during the era when the New Testament's coming, like these disciples from John. Paul recognizes these guys were not baptized into Christ. Very importantly. Why was that? Because what did Jesus say at the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me, and in heaven and earth, I needed to go all into the world to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those were some of the last words that Jesus gave. He didn't say it was okay, it was kosher to just kind of stay in a John the Baptist doctrinal lane, and if that's your lane, you can just stay there. No, Jesus made it real clear. You've now got a disciple. You've got new marching orders to disciple in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul knew, I can't just let this sit. Yeah, maybe it'd be a lot more convenient for me going into a new territory and trying to share the gospel with someone and kind of get them on board to the message of Jesus. Maybe it'd be a lot easier for me to just kind of like let that slide under the carpet. Paul says, I can't do that. I got to share with you the true story, the full meaning. Interesting, Bach says that in Acts, this is the only case of a second baptism where Christian baptism follows John's baptism. Doesn't mean that's a pattern for us. 
Remember that Acts is a transitional book. However, someone being rebaptized today, because initially they were baptized as an unbeliever, certainly would have merit to it. Interesting, too, in Acts 19 here, talking about these disciples, you've got these 12 guys, verse 7, 12 men in all. So don't forget, here in Acts, Luke is helping us understand just how did this Ephesian ministry explode the way that it did. There's probably something going on behind the text here that we don't know, that these 12 guys... um, once they fully became to understand the full message of the gospel, there's something about these 12 guys. And one commentator said that these 12 eventually would become the nucleus of the Ephesian church. So what happens? These 12 guys, they don't know the full story. Paul shares with them the full story about Jesus and and the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, and what happened to Pentecost, and brings them up to speed as to what's happening now. He rebaptizes them into Christ, redunks them. They come out of the water, and he lays hands on them. What does the text say happened at that point? Verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying and there were about 12 men in all. Interesting, as you think about the book of Acts being this transitional book where you don't have a New Testament in the early church, in the book of Acts. You don't have a New Testament. All you've got is the Old Testament. Oftentimes when a dude would show up and say, thus saith the Lord, you needed some form of authentication. And based on what Hebrews chapter two says, that authentication is signs, wonders, and miracles to authenticate the message. Sometimes we might think that the book of Acts and the early church is filled with all these evidences of people speaking in tongues and prophesying and that sort of thing. Not so much, not so much. There are three pivotal moments in the book of Acts. Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. Three pivotal moments in the book of Acts. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. Now think as you've gone through the book of Acts, what happened in Acts 2? What was the big event? of Acts 2. Can anyone tell me? Pentecost. Big event. Why? It's a fulfillment of Joel 2. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. We look back and recognize, okay, that was the start of the church in Acts 2. Acts 10, another big event took place. What happened in Acts 10? Peter was preaching to Cornelius. It's, it's like the Gentile Pentecost. It's like, it's like, Peter's on the roof. The Holy Spirit tells him, go share the gospel with these Gentiles. Peter's not real cool with that, but he obeys the Lord. All these Gentiles are coming to Christ. Many people would say that was like the Gentile Pentecost. Acts 2, Acts 10, and now here in Acts 19. Acts 19 is another pivotal moment in the book of Acts because this is really where not just 
with the church of Ephesus, but in all of this section of Asia. And really, as you look later into the book of Acts, all moving into Europe, it starts right here in this moment. It's a really important section, um, not just in the book of Acts, but in church, church history. And so appropriately, when Paul lays hands on them and identifies with these guys that you are now a part of the gospel of Christ, they speak in tongues, evidencing the work of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Really important moment, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. Let's talk about some application real quick. So, Aquila and Priscilla, Paul, they come alongside these people that needed to be encouraged and to grow into their new understanding of what Christ was. They could have said something like, ah, someone else will surely set this guy straight. They could have said, ah, discipleship takes time and I've got an entire season of Jerusalem NCIS to watch. Like just seasons on ends. You know, I don't really have time for that. Quill and Priscilla could have walked to Paulus after he preached a 90% message and said, yo, dude, stick to your day job, right? These are all the things they could have said. They could have come up with a million reasons to say, I don't have to help the guy next to me grow in his understanding of the Lord. So could you. So could I. So have I. Probably many times in my life. Will and Priscilla and Paul, they took the time to proactively invest. Hey, church, not just a handful of people. We all have to be committed to this process of proactive discipleship, this process of passing on what has been passed on to you. We all have to be a part of this. You can't just look at the person down the pew from you and think that they're more spiritually qualified than you to share gospel truth. No, if you're a believer, you have a responsibility to share gospel truth and help someone grow in their relationship with the Lord. Every person in here, if you are a believer in Christ, you have a responsibility to help someone grow in their relationship with the Lord. Thankfully, in this church, the elders of the church have made that so easy for you to do. Like there's just so many ways that you could plug in and engage with someone in their walk with the Lord. There's connection groups, there's study groups, there's Awana, there's third place, there's discipleship happening all over the place, there's table leading, there's so many opportunities where you could grow and help someone take their next step with Christ. In your home, parents, there's so many opportunities to help your kids grow in their understanding of Jesus and we've gotta be proactive about that. Definitely the Bible message in the New Testament is we have to be proactive in helping people grow in their relationship with the Lord. Will you be obedient to God in this area? Who will you deposit your faith into? So we want to be like the church at Ephesus. 
We wanna grow in our gospel reach. You wanna grow in your gospel reach? We as a church have to be proactive in discipleship. Proactive, but also purposeful in your pivots. Purposeful in your pivots. Look at chapter 19, verse eight. Okay, so as you work through the text there, Paul shares the gospel with these Ephesian disciples and he rebaptizes them and they speak in tongues. 12 men in all, verse eight, he enters the synagogue, which is what his practice was, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, which was synonymous for Christianity, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. Okay. So understand what's happening here. Paul, like his practice was, Romans 1.16 says that Paul's practice, his ministry philosophy, was to first take the gospel to the Jews because he believed, as you looked at the Old Testament, first and foremost, the Jews had to have opportunity to accept Christ because the covenants hung on them. And they had to be given an opportunity to accept or reject the Messiah. He would go to the Jews, and oftentimes, like you see here in Acts 19, they said, we're not interested not really interested in this Messiah that you speak of. What does the text actually say? Verse nine, and when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief. Interesting, as you see there on the screen, they were stubborn, which actually means to be hardened to something. The expression appears in the Old Testament regarding Pharaoh and the people in the wilderness. Interesting in the Greek, it's in the middle voice, which means they harden themselves. They harden themselves to the gospel message and be became hard. And in essence, brought judgment upon themselves because the gospel moved on. This word is only found here in the New Testament. What does Paul do? Does Paul pull out his Bible? Maybe it's 1611 and starts beating people over the head. You will repent. You will submit. No, he doesn't do that. Why? Because spiritual work can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Which might sound like a bit of a no-brainer. But when you think about it, the things spiritually that you really want to see happen in someone's life, whether it's a relative becoming soft to the gospel or someone trusting in Christ, sometimes we want to try so hard to move someone closer to Christ, right? Anyone ever been in a situation like that? Man, I have. You just want so bad for someone to just accept what you've got and embrace Christ, Paul recognized, I can't make anyone accept the Messiah. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. So does Paul just pack up, wash his hands, wipe the dust off of them, and say, wow, that was a great ministry. Ephesus was really cool for the three and some days that I was here, and uh, let's move on to something else. No. Paul recognized that this was a strategic opportunity. So what does he do? He pivots. He pivots. 
I can no longer speak in the Jewish synagogue because they don't give a rip about Christianity. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna hand it a lemon. I'm gonna make some lemonades. What does he do? Verse nine, he enters the synagogue, three months speaks boldly. Some became stubborn, speaking evil of the way. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. It was a roadblock that led to an opportunity. I've been shut down, I'm gonna pivot. I've been told I can't do, I'm going to pivot. I'm gonna find a way to share the gospel. You know, in so many ways, it can be so easy as a church to just say, yeah, we tried. Now let's get back to doing other things. Let's get back to regular programming. Or you find a way to make it happen. You find a way to pivot. You find a way to say, okay, we, not, we may not be the largest church in New Jersey, but we're a good-sized church. And God could use us significantly to see the gospel go forward around the world. What are all the ways that we can continue to be agile and pivot and see the gospel go forward? It's like this. It's like, if you can imagine like a hill and water rushing down a hill, a mighty stream of water rushing down the hill, and you put something up in front of that stream to try to block it, what's gonna happen? It's gonna find another way around it. It's gonna go left, it's gonna go right, it's gonna find another angle around that particular blockade. It's gonna find a way to get around. And in so many ways, that's how we have to think about the sharing of the gospel. Because when you're sharing the gospel, you're always gonna come across roadblocks. There's always gonna be things that come up in front of your way that like present this opportunity to say, yeah, I could just go home and throw in the towel and give up here or pivot. It's like COVID. COVID presented with us all kinds of roadblocks as a church, not just here at FBC, but around the world. There were all types of roadblocks with the church. We tried to do things in COVID to continue to get the gospel out. We came up with this idea that we wanted to do this drive-through Christmas because people couldn't be inside the church and we're gonna share the gospel by having people drive around the church and we're gonna have these scenes set up and we're gonna start building these scenes and we were really excited about it and then people started getting sick and you know, couldn't show up and we couldn't get practices together or people together to build things and it was a challenge. You know what we did? pivoted. We pivoted. We took it to digital. We took that same drama to digital. And there's that lovely family there, the Hortons. That's a scene from that Christmas presentation that we did. You know, we were hoping as a church that maybe a few thousand people would eventually come and see this drive through Christmas. We pivoted and 16,000 people watched this presentation. It's a pivot. Or a tornado struck our area in 2021. Community roadblock. Presented a pivot. It allowed us to be the hands and feet of Christ. A pivot. A way to take something that at first appearance would seem like, man, this is going to be really challenging to work through. Pivoted for gospel use. 
or like when Russia struck Ukraine. Phil and others believed we needed to do something. Instead of just watching, we pivoted. 55,000 children's books were passed out, 12,000 more in this new year. A gospel pivot. Or think about where we are right now in Gloucester County. Between 2010 and 2022, the population of Gloucester County has gone up by 17,000 people and continues to grow. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. And you don't need, like, something horrible to happen in the community at a gospel pivot. We should be looking for opportunities to be agile and pivot all the time as a church. All the time. So students, people in the workplace, okay, fine. Let's say in your school, in your workplace, you're not allowed to pass out tracks anymore, whatever the situation might be. Pivot. Find another way. Find another way to share the love of Christ. There's lots of different ways we can do that. Growing in our gospel reach as a church. Be proactive in your discipleship. Like Paul, be purposeful in your pivots. Three, be empowered in your persistence. Check this out. Empowered in your persistence. Verse 9. When some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. The Apostle Paul had persistence, Holy Spirit-driven tenacity. The text says he withdrew from them, took the disciples, so maybe these are Additional disciples that came to Christ as a result of the ministry in the synagogue, more than likely, these are the 12 Ephesus, Ephesian disciples. Takes the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Daily. Interesting, the Western text of the book of Acts, not thought to be authentic, but sometimes containing additional truth that can sometimes add some historical detail, adders, adds the point that Paul lectured daily from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Why is that? Because as you read other books and you read about Middle Eastern culture, from 11 o'clock to 4 o'clock, the, ho- the hottest part of the day, this is when they are all taking a pause from their work, a pause from their labors, and they are taking a siesta, they are taking a nap. And so that lecture hall is empty. And Paul looks at this as an opportunity to get in there and share the gospel. Many commentators said what you see on the screen there, there would have been more people awake in Ephesus at 1 a.m. than there would have been at 1 p.m. It's interesting too, Many commentators have said it speaks to this persistency of Paul, who is likely likely making tents in the morning and preaching in the afternoon. Imagine the Apostle Paul, who is trade as a tent maker. From the time he wakes up, he's making tents. He is funding his ministry by the making of these tents. 11 o'clock hits, he goes to the lecture hall. He's at the lecture hall at least till 3, 4 o'clock sharing the good news, preaching the gospel, going through the Old Testament, sharing the Messiah. And then, as you see later on in the book of Acts, oftentimes well into the evening, Paul's continuing to work and sharing the gospel. 
Pretty full day, right? Look at verse 10. This continued for how long? Two years. Two years. Paul was like, all in. From the time he wakes up, he's supporting himself to getting to the lecture hall to share the truth of Christ, to late into the evening, he's continuing to share the gospel message. He's got a full day of activity for two years. And Paul even says later on in the book of Acts, running into a third year. Can you imagine? What was the result? Look at verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews. All the residents hear the word of the Lord. In other words, Paul's Holy Spirit and power tenacity made a difference. He didn't give up. He didn't let up. Daily for two years, he's sharing the gospel story. The FBC, as the clock ticks and the time of Christ's return becomes closer and closer, we are one day closer today than we were yesterday to the return of Christ. We don't oftentimes think of it that way. But I don't think that the return of Christ is some nebulous event taking place on some cosmic calendar. There's an actual day on the calendar where Christ is returning. We are one day closer today than we were yesterday. Now is not the time to drift or put it into cruise control. Now is the time to accelerate. Have you noticed things going on in our world that would lead you to believe it's getting a little crazy out there? Maybe things are starting to accelerate And maybe we as a church, it's time to accelerate. Definitely not time for complacency. Greater Holy Spirit empowered passion for Jesus. Why is this? The Bible speaks about the importance of not giving up. Of not giving up. Isaiah 40, 31, they who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I did not give up. 2 Corinthians 4, 1, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We keep going for the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Abound in the work of the Lord, knowing what you're doing is not in vain. Paul said this, Galatians 6, 9, don't grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Man, I'm excited to hear how God could just continue to use this church. It's gonna come down to all of us doing it together, being strengthened to change your world for Christ. How does it happen? 
growing in our gospel reach, you've got to be proactive in your discipleship. You've got to be purposeful in the pivots and the roadblocks that are sent to you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Through the strength of the Holy Spirit. Can we pray? Before I ask Phil to join us on the, on the stage here. Lord, we recognize here in the book of Acts, there's just an incredible call to continue, Lord, to live out these truths that we see in the early church. We recognize, Lord, that you've given us the book of Acts, not just for our information, Lord, but to change our lives. Lord, I would pray that would be the case for all of us, Lord. May we not be lulled into into complacency. May May we act with urgency, Lord, believing because you've told us to think this way that your return is soon. And so, Lord, would you empower this church and allow us, Lord, to reach Gloucester County and beyond with the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.